Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diodora, the brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 23, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, world number 33, Jan Leonard Struff, and world number 63, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diodora.com and use my code APPROVED at Holabird Sports for 15% off all performance tennis shoes. She was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and in 2019 beat world number one Ash Barty to reach the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and got to 18 in the world that subsequent year. She has posted wins over top tenors Alina Svitolina, Sloan Stevens, Garbina Muguruza, and Naomi Osaka to name a few. Ali Risk Amitraj is today's guest. Now, hang on. Where are you? I am in Charleston, South Carolina. You are. You're in Charleston where we met. Yeah, exactly. Do you want me to go into detail about that or you just want me to stop there? No, tell us. Where are you? So I'm in, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Stephen and I, my husband and I, we decided to move north. So we listed our, we're listing our place in Orlando this week and we are so excited and we're going to make Charleston our home. And we honestly cannot wait. Uh, the community here is unbelievable. We're excited to be a part of it. And um, we're doing a massive reno. So if you hear anything in the background, that's what's happening. And it is a reno unlike anything we've ever done before. <laughs> it's down to the foundation, to the studs. And um, it has been the project of a lifetime, but we are so fired up to be uh, be residents here in Charleston. Young woman you hear has gotten to 18 in the world. Not that long ago, 2019, she was 18 in the world. She spent many years in the top 100. She spent five-plus years in the top 50. She's won multiple tournaments on tour. She has gone toe-to-toe with all the best players in the world. She is married to Indian tennis royalty, and that is... (laughs) Ali Risk. I like I like to say just royalty in general, but we can say Indian. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know what the protocol is there. Wait, but hang on a second. Did they know? Did we call you Ali Risk Amitraj, or we say Ali Risk? We do do Ali Risk Amitraj. We do. I have to give a little ode to my my Risk um, too because my brother he's the only boy in our family and he didn't have kids, so I feel like somebody's got to carry it on. So here I am. I'm taking both names. It's great to see you. When we met, we were we we met. You were antiquing with Andrea Petkovich mm-hmm. in Charleston. So now that's it. You are you are now. Have you changed your mailing address? Are you Charleston resident? We haven't changed our license plates or our um, mailing address yet, but that is that is on the to do list. Um, we literally just packed up the house last week. So my husband drove um, a U-Haul up here with a lot of stuff. We're listing the house. I mean, we're in very early stage of this, but um, we're just living. Look, it's a it's a 1850s town, and we're living on the top floor. It's the only part of it that's finished, and um, we are just we're super fired up. As you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. I think you just gave us big news, but what is the situation with regards to Charleston now? Are you going to use that as a training center? What What's the situation? Are you 
where are you at? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I had a really challenging personal year. Um, my, my father passed in March. Um, but we had known that it was probably going to be that way. He was diagnosed with leukemia and it came back end of last year. And honestly, since his diagnosis, I was really never the same person, um, you know, on the court. And it was really just a really challenging time for me. And, um, he was the reason I played tennis. And so, um, you know, I tried really hard to keep coming back and give it a go. And, um, you know, I am 33. So in the time that I took off and came back, you know, I had some injuries that kept giving me an issue. Definitely not new ones, but, um, as I said, I'm a little vintage right now. So, um, you know, and so I decided I'm going to take a protective ranking. I'm going to give myself some space, some time just to reflect, heal, get my body and mind well. And, um, we'll see, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Um, you know, how the fire goes, how the body feels. Um, but if I do come back and I decide to continue to play, I will definitely be training here in Charleston. I think that's the beauty of this city, um, not just from a cultural standpoint, but from a sport perspective, um, a tennis standpoint is, you know, Ben Navarro is highly involved in the community and he owns um, the Credit One um, tournament on Daniel Island, which has been a huge success for the whole city and it's a lot of players favorite event and it, on top of that he has an academy a couple that he runs in the area which have a lot of great junior players so I know I'd be able to get my butt kicked a little bit um, if I want to come back and and get ready for the tour so it has a lot to offer and um, yeah we're we're really honored to be a part of part of this area and we love every single thing about it for our listeners Ali just referenced Ben Navarro. Ben Navarro, the new billionaire baller in tennis. Daughter is Emma Navarro, uh, NCAA champion. Another baller. She's hovering in and <laughs> yeah. around the 70s, 80s, I believe now. But Ben Navarro has inserted himself into tennis in an extremely meaningful way. Mm-hmm. More to come on that. He is the owner of the aforementioned credit one Charleston open as well as he owns Cincinnati. And there's big talk that that mm-hmm. tournament is getting moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. but I'd like to talk about your father later in the show. Um, I happen to be a member of that club too. And the club, when your dad dies is a very tough situation. So condolences. Thank you so much. I don't wish it for anyone. However, most of us have to experience it. So um yeah, it's a tough club. It's very tough. Now, now, hang on a second. So, I have inside information that you are like, you're you guys are you and Stephen Amritraj, you you're you're renovation people. You do renovations. That that's like a side. That's like a side hustle. It is. It is a side hustle. It's always a labor of love. It's honestly one of my passions, and um, everything that we've under um, took real estate wise has been a huge labor of love, but, um, we, I've always had an affinity for the low country, um, just because in high school I trained in Hilton head. And so I always knew I loved, I had so many great memories. And then I met Steven, Steven went, um, to Duke in North Carolina. So we were kind of Carolina people and we always felt, you know what, we want to lay some roots there at some point. And, um, right before the pandemic hit in 2020, I bought my first property and it was downtown Charleston and we rented it out. 
we block it off for the uh, one week of credit one every year. <laughs> and um, it really did very well. And we've since um, expanded. We've, we've um, got an Airbnb in the North Charleston area and Park Circle, which is kind of a gentrified area. And we have the most wonderful property managers. And I don't intend to undermine them. Since I'm living here now, I could probably do a little bit more, but they are so good at what they do. So I have no intention of doing that. But um, when we saw this one property come uh, on the market in downtown, we were like, you know, if we wanted to have 10 kids, this house would be big enough. So we are going, <laughs> we're going to go for it. It was, like I said, I mentioned prior, it was built in 1850, has not been taken care of probably since 1850. And um, we have really put a lot of heart and soul and we have a wonderful contractor who is a friend. And um, we've been so blessed and I love the design aspect. We had an architect involved on this house, which was um, a new experience. We've never really had to get an architect involved prior. And um, it is so exciting, which should be done end of the year, but um, we will see. So yeah, I just love the design aspect, the um, the kind of the art aspect of, you know, designing the homes is, is where, I feel like I get a lot of satisfaction. I have a lot of passion for it. So, um, yeah, I hope to maybe start an Instagram page for this house after it's completed. We'll see. But uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Does the house have a name? That is a great question. Um, well, what it's called now actually indicates a street, so I won't give that part away. But uh, <laughs> it uh, we're going to have to come up with one. Okay. It's probably going to include the Amitraj name in it, but... We got to we got to work on that. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the court report. This is where we talk about the business of tennis, everything that's happening. Listen, Coco Goff is the story of women's tennis. She was struggling. She came back to the states. Uh, there was a chance trial run with Brad Gilbert in the box mm. at Washington and she won the tournament. She just won the tournament in Cincinnati, beating Iga Sviantek for the first time. What have your impressions been of this this moment? I personally cannot say enough good things about the takeover of the tennis world of Coco Club. I am one of her biggest fans, and I feel I have seen her for the last few years. I've been a, a Fed Cup team or Billie Jean King Cup um team member of hers and she is just class through and through and I think more than her tennis and her attitude her demeanor is just who she is as a person and the girl is an absolute rock star she comes from a phenomenal family I feel like they really do a great job they're involved but they take a little bit of a backseat give her some room I thought it was interesting and um the last uh, in Cincinnati her mom and dad weren't present and she absolutely rocked it which I think is a really cool sign of maturity and she's still so young she's you know she's not even 20 years old and so she has so many wonderful attributes about her. I think she's really developed her game nicely. I think the addition of Brad Gilbert, and I don't know his first or last name, but Chinwen Zhang's past coach, um, who is now helping her as well, have kind of instilled just a new perspective for her. And I think she has a lot of confidence just by having them, you know, in her in her box. And you can kind of see it. She fought like an absolute champion. Um, I, you know, people always give her a hard time about her forehand, but I look at it and I say, people give her a hard time about her forehand, but she's still five in the world. <laughs> and so, you know, if she just, 
you know, works on a little bit, which you could, I could already see this summer. She's really trying to hit through it a little bit more in in certain moments, getting it a, a little flatter. And um, I think the proof is in the pudding. She has two titles going into the U.S. Open, probably her best, obviously her best summer yet. And um, she's just an absolute rock star. I couldn't say it enough. Have you interacted with her in a meaningful way? Have you guys had dinner? Have you had lunch? Have you practiced? Uh, tell me about her. Yes, yes. I um, Like I said, I had been a, a partner of hers on the Billie Jean King Cup yeah. team representing America. And um, I've also practiced with her here and there at events. Um, you know, I don't know her um, so deeply that, you know, I'm messaging her every other day. But when she does well, I'm always supporting her and sending my my congratulations, which honestly, she's probably tired of it because she has a great week every week. But <laughs> I also am actually um, pretty close with her dad, um, Mr. Goff. Corey is a wonderful guy. And my husband, Stephen, is friends with Corey and um, her agent, um, Alessandra is one of my husband's really good friends. And so we follow the team very closely, but um, she is just a breath of fresh air. She has not changed. Um, she has not changed at all since the moment that I met her, which even then she was touted as being the next big thing. But obviously now that um, has come to fruition and she's had the success and gotten the name and proven everything in her results. And she has remained the same. She will always look at you. She will always say hello. She'll ask you how you are. Um, she's not holier than thou, which I think is really incredible for a young girl of her age, um, of her success, and really of her stardom. Yeah, no, I really feel like we're seeing like a Muhammad Ali situation <laughs> unfolding where She's, you know, remarkably poised and poignant and cool. And she's doing a lot of things that are important. And she speaks very intelligently. And she seems to be remarkably special. She's special. I think that's the best word to describe Coco is she is special. And um, I think we're all so lucky to be witnessing it and to be um, seeing it unfold because she really is something to behold. The tournament sounds like it's in jeopardy. Can you, have you had any um, meaningful mm. conversations about the future of Cincinnati? What, what can you tell us that uh, we don't know? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to be the one that drops any bombs here, but um, you know, I am very partial to Cincinnati. I grew up in Pittsburgh. It's the Midwest tournament. It's my home. Uh, my home event, I would say, and I am very partial to it. So I am definitely an advocate for it staying in Cincinnati. However, I understand, obviously, you know, when someone buys an event and they want to have, um, they want it to be the most successful event that they can. Um, I think that you have to explore all options. And obviously, um, Ben Navarro and his team have have looked at Charlotte, and that's definitely public knowledge. Um, but I think, uh, I think, I don't think Cincinnati is going to go down without a fight and they're going to make it, you know, a challenging, uh, thing to let go of it. And I know it means a lot to the people, but, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And I'm sure wherever it goes, Ben will make it a success as he will always do with anything that he takes part in. And I'm excited to see, um, you know, 
what its future holds. But uh, as I said, I personally would love to see it stay in Cincinnati and uh, be be the Midwest's uh, tournament. How do you feel about the health of the WTA at the moment? It's been rough sledding these last few mm. years. <laughs> I think it's a really challenging time. I I really believe that tennis has a long way to go to compete with other, not just other sports, but um, almost, uh, um, I don't know how I say this. I think it has a long way to go. I think that there needs to be someone progressive that can come in and rework our system and almost do a haul of, of what, the current scope is. I think we have so much to offer as an individual sport. Obviously the women's uh, tour is the most lucrative women's sport in the world. However, the coverage and uh, the marketing surrounding it, I think has always lacked and there's never been anyone that has been able to come in and really revamp that and make it look different make it look different for the players. And I think that it's really exciting if we could have someone like that come in for our sport and really take it to the next level. And I don't think, I'm not saying we're going to compete with the NBA and the NFL and all of these things, but we're going to make our product the best that it possibly can be and we're going to keep achieving and keep taking our sport to the next level, whether it's financially or whether it's just um, a better schedule for the players, whether it's, um, you know, adding more tournaments to the schedule so players have the opportunity to make more money at a certain level. I think that there are many avenues that can be explored that haven't. And I feel like tennis as a sport has been a part of the past and it has remained there for an unfortunate amount of years. You, you mentioned promotion, you mentioned the lack of tournaments, the, the, whatever it may be. Is there anything specific that you think has been troubling to be on tour for 13 years? You you've somehow your de facto elder statesman of the tour. You've seen a lot. Venus and Serena are, for all intents and purposes, gone. Sharapova is 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 finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have we not nurtured new stars in a, in a meaningful way? Is that is that sort of the crux of it? I think that we well, you take uh, we've spoken previously on Coco, and you take Coco. She is a star, and she is the face of our sport, and I, that's what I believe. And I would. Um, I want her to be the face of our sport. I think that she is our girl. And um, to be the face of a sport, you have to have the personality. You have to have a lot of things going for you. And whether some do or some don't, that's beside the point. But Coco has that. And she is the face of our sport. I think if you look, you know, at the ATP, and we can't compare ATP to WTA, I do not believe that we are two different products. Um, however, you can take good parts of the other that are similar to us and implement them. And I think that you look at an ATP schedule, 
And, you know, their fall is a phenomenal lineup of events in Europe. Um, their clay season is a phenomenal lineup of events in Europe. And they're all very demographically um, endowed and they make it easy for the players. And they are high level events. And so they're a premier product and the best players come to play there. And that is something that I think, you know, can be attained by the WTA as well. If we can get the sponsors and the sanctions to be on board. We are about a week out from New York City. We are a week out from the U.S. Open. They've done some things to improve the players' situation. They've added per diems that are seem pretty big. They've added free string jobs. They've done some things that are kind of interesting. What's your what? How are you feeling about the U.S. Open? I mean, I, it's our home slam, so I've always enjoyed it. There's definitely an energy, as everyone always says, surrounding the U.S. Open. And um, I'm going up for a few days myself to take part in a few activities, which I'm so excited about. But as a player, I think it's, you know, it's the last Grand Slam of the year and you're, you know, excited to go out with a bang and, you know, put in a great performance. And um, it's easy to get excited about doing that when you're in, in New York City. So obviously, U.S. Open puts in a lot of effort and and uh, making it really special for us. I personally would say increase the prize money instead of give the gifts, but that's my own take. But <laughs> I think it's always very, um, very wonderful, you know, to get some perks alongside it. And I know everyone works really hard. The USTA puts in a lot of hours and uh, a lot of time. And I, um, I'm very, uh, very excited to watch, tune in and uh, see what unfolds. And like I said, I'm always rooting for the Americans. So um, the the list is long, but I'm I'm hoping that everyone makes a deep run. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. I know things, but I'm curious to ask you just right out of the box, Allie, where does your tennis begin? It begins in Peters Township, Pittsburgh, PA. Three years old, in front of our house on our street with no net, and my dad just. Um, hitting balls with me and uh, he didn't want a net. He didn't want me to get discouraged. So um, we would just hit balls and um, the rest is kind of history. I was forced into it. I had two older siblings. And by the time I came along, I had no choice. So it really was kudos to my dad and all of his efforts, obviously my mom as well. And they both sacrificed a lot to make everything happen, but it, it all began in, in Peter Township, Pennsylvania. So your father was a he was in the he was in the secret service and then he was in the FBI. He was. When we were three years old, what was he? Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And so my parents, I was kind of the oops baby. I was the third. My sister's nine years older, my brother's seven years older. And my mom was forty one and my dad was forty six. So that by the time I was Four, my dad was retired because the pension from the government as opposed to working was equal. And so he chose to take the pension and then he began his FBI work and doing background investigations for them. But um, I was really his his next job after the Secret Service and obviously the FBI. Um, so he never missed a lesson. He 
he never had me pick up a tennis ball because he wanted every single moment of my lessons to be focused on playing tennis. So he would ball hop every single ball. And um, he really forced me into the sport. I had no um, affinity for it. I didn't really like anything about it. I, I felt like it was so much. I wanted to be a cheerleader. And here I was grinding on the tennis court. And so it was a totally different um, reality than what I had had hoped for. But I loved it. I did love the competition and I won my first tournament when I was eight years old. It was a 10 and under event. I remember it like it was yesterday. And um, I came off of the court. I won the first set, lost the second. I thought I lost the match. I came off the court crying. I was like, I'm done. I didn't know I had to go back out and play a third. Luckily, I won it. But um, and then after that, I I really loved winning. And so the competition always kept me coming back. And that was really honestly what kept me in for the last 25 years. <laughs> Listen, you, 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 you buried the lead. I think what, what president did your father guard? He was on a few different presidential details. He was with Bush senior. He was with Clinton. He was with Reagan. And, um, he, those were his primaries and he did a little bit with, um, Carter as well. Jimmy Carter. Before you were born, they lived in D.C. He was all over the country. He was in D.C. He was also out in California for a period because Reagan had a a, a ranch out there. Yeah. So he was he was there for a while. And he actually, before they moved to Pittsburgh, they were in Palm Springs um, for his detail. So he um, but he was all over the country and, and he traveled all over the world with the presidents. And um, he was a he was one of a kind. He must have had incredible stories about doing this detail. That's like that's he way cooler than being a pro stories. tennis player. That's a way well, cooler. I tell than you a... what, I tell yeah. you what, if I wasn't a pro tennis player, I have thought about going into some sort of CIA um, operations. He really, all of his stories. But my dad was absolutely nuts, so it's really hard to think of me going into these positions because I'm like, I am not anywhere close to him like he was absolutely nuts so he really has a lot of nutty stories a lot of nutty stories about the president <laughs> and yeah. he really kind of formed his political beliefs around what how the different presidents were and how yeah. they treated his detail and and everything um surrounding that amazing <laughs> now when did you start being sort of identified as like a good junior were you like a national player were you playing orange bowl and 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 were you going to like junior wimbledon and all that kind of stuff oh, petite ah petite ah all those things <laughs> no, no no yeah i didn't no. even know how to pronounce that till probably five years ago so i never took part in it i never traveled outside of america for an event my entire life until i turned pro which i was 18 years old um, which was the first time I left, but I was ranked 12. Oh, I mean, it's so funny to even say, but I was ranked number one in the 12 and unders. And then mm. I decided to forego. My dad decided for me to forego the 14, 16. And then I ended up being number one in the 18. Your father made you play all the way up. So you were 14 and you played 18s. I did. I mean, sometimes you played I played all the way up. I did. I did. And, um, I, ne I never played a 14s or 16s level event, whether it be district or um, in Amer in the States. So 
I just forewent that. And I really didn't have any choice. I mean, in hindsight, like I had no idea what it meant. I was just doing and playing wherever dad, you know, would take me and we'd sign up. So, um, but you know, finances were lean. And so we didn't even really travel outside of the Midwest. So like I played middle States and we would, occasionally once I was playing the 18th, we would occasionally go play Supernats, And I played a handful of those throughout my career. You kind of obviously had to go and take part in those if you wanted to get recruited by the colleges. And, um, you know, so I would play those. And in the 18th, I did end up getting to the final of 18 hard court. So it gave me a wild card into the qualifying of the U.S. Open. And at that point, I was playing 50,000 25s um, as well. And I was winning some of the 50s and my ranking was about 220 when I was 18. I had previously signed with Vanderbilt. So I decided I'm going to go to school. My parents couldn't finance a professional career. So we knew that was not an option. I never envisioned myself turning pro because I just knew financially it wasn't a thing for me. And so I was ranked 220. I signed with Vanderbilt. I had my roommate. We coordinated the room, um, what we were putting on our beds. We had, uh, you know, the refrigerator, the microwave. And I had a family friend come out two weeks before I was supposed to go to Vanderbilt. And he called me up. I was in the living room of our condo in Hilton Head. And he said, um, gosh, it makes me emotional, but well, sorry, Craig. Um, yeah, he said, if you want to turn pro, I'll support you. This guy's name is, is Tom. Wrong? This guy's name what is, is Tom. Wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is how. Tom, um, yeah, who is this person? Tom Colton. Um, gosh, I don't even know if he wants me to give his last name, but um, Tom and, Colton. And, and he staked you. He staked well, he was you. a family friend, and yeah. so my sister, she was on tour at the time, and she was based in Hilton Head, and um, she would hit with Tom, and he would he was you know. 50, 50 years old and just love tennis, love to be out there grinding. And so they developed this friendship. And obviously then my family, you know, became friends with him and I would hit with him when we visit my sister. And so he would always be, you know, in touch with what I was doing on the tennis court and how it was progressing. And um, so, yeah. So Tom said, I'll support you until you can support yourself. And how long and the rest did that, is history. And how long did that take? Well, you know, in about um that was the other thing is he said my sister was winding down at that time on tour. She got to be about three twenty, three fifty. I, I can't tell you the exact ranking, but she was a, a good player herself and just never kind of worked out for her long term. And so Tom said, I'm gonna pay for Sarah to travel with you as well. And I want you staying at all the host hotels. I don't want you cheaping out and you know, trying to save a dollar and staying at, you know, other hotels. And so he paid for Sarah and my sister was my coach for my first about five years on tour. And um, within about two years, I was 105. I had my freak out moment that I was about to, sorry, within one year, I was about 105. And I had my freak out moment about getting to top 100, slid back um, to about 180. And then the next year I pulled it back and got into the top hundred. So it was really cool to share that with my sister too. I mean, she sacrificed a lot. This has really been a true family affair and um, you know, I've been so, so blessed and it's been, it's really been the best 
the best journey and I, I do it all over again in a heartbeat. It's interesting when financial pressure is removed and you can play loose and you can, and you can not be worrying about that. 100%. I think, you know, you look at the tour and all these girls and they come from all different walks of life and all different parts of the world. And I think the majority of them probably have a story similar to mine. I think, you know, anything else is probably a little bit of an outlier to be fair. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of sacrifice in, involved in a lot of our stories. And um, I think that's what, what makes this so cool is, you know, every one of us has kind of come, you know, risen from a situation that, you know, maybe we weren't supposed to be here, but we did. And I think that is just, um, that's the best part about sport and um, just being mentally tough and um, the financial pressure. I think I've always kind of felt that just because it was the way I grew up. So whether even when I quote unquote made it, you know, I think that's a very relevant term. And so, um, you know, I think that's always been, you know, a thing for me, but it's also always really driven, uh, driven me as well. Was there a a specific win, whether it was in juniors or in a pro that you were like, Oh, oh, I could be really, really good. Is there like (laughs) one win that stuck out? Um, you know, it sounds a little funny to say, but when I won that first tournament, I, I was, I was eight years old. It sounds so ridiculous, but up until that point, I had been playing for five years and it was pretty intense. I mean, my dad's German, like he, he runs a tight ship. And so, um, you know, I was, you know, just a baby, but I was putting in so much time and effort, but to win and get that first trophy, whether I had aspirations of being pro or not at that point, I can't, that was not really in my mind. It was, I'm, I could be a good tennis player, whatever that looked like at that time. And that was so exciting for me. And the opportunity to compete and travel and um, just lay it on the line, like that excited me from a really young age. And so um, pro wise, I think when I had my first run in Birmingham, which was in 2009, I believe I got to the semis. I, um, beat Yanina Wickmeyer, who was about, I think she was top 15 at the time on grass. And then I lost to Sharapova in the semis. It just kind of solidified, like I had made the right decision and, um, you know, everything was going to work out. So 2019, you get to 18. Why were you so good that year? What was it about that year? Who were you yeah. the year you got into the top mm-hmm. 20? It was the first year of my career where I really just um, I believed so wholeheartedly in everything that I was doing and the player that I was. And I think more than anything, I think emotionally, I kind of always had a little bit of um, mentality that held me back because maybe I I was I'm very hard on myself. And it was really something that I never kind of cracked to just give myself a little bit of space. So that year, I feel like I was putting in a lot of work. I had a, I had a great coach, um, Billy Heiser, and we had a clear view of what we wanted my game to look like. We had a clear view of how we wanted to structure um, our practices. And whether I lost, the next day we were working again and we were trying to get better and improving. And it just kind of all spiraled. And um, I put a lot of wins on the on the board that year. And um, 
I was just a really confident player. I was 29, so I was no spring chicken. <laughs> and um, I had a lot of experience behind me. So it was, um, I was really proud of that year and really, um, I really, uh, I'll never forget that year, really. You beat Ash Barty that year. You beat the world number one. <laughs> I did at Wimbledon to get to my quarterfinal. Honestly, you know, I can, I can retire one day and rest easy knowing that I can go back to Wimbledon for life. I have my tickets waiting for me and all is good in the world. And so I am very proud of that. And I beat Ash in the round of 16 to get that honor to play Serena in the quarters. And although I lost to Serena in three sets, I still get my lifetime Wimbledon tickets. So I'm a happy, I'm a happy girl. <laughs> Ali risk arbitrage final eight club of Wimbledon, which is just <laughs> awesome. Oh, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. But with that said, you've got family members. Your father-in-law is is a not a member of the club. Is he a member of the All England Club? Oh, he is. Yeah. He is, and he so will let you know all about it. You you not you have a father-in-law and a what is that? An Just an in-law? in-law? An uncle? Is that an in-law? <laughs> Your in-law? Uh, VJ Amitage. You you he's a member of the All England Club. What is it like? to be around these arbitrages. I mean, this is like <laughs> some of the most royal royalness there is in all of tennis. Well, I can tell you there's never a dull moment. There's never a dull moment. And I fit in so well because it's very similar to the environment that I grew up in at my house. So it is, I mean, you have three, to, I mean, and they have their brother, Ashok, who is their youngest brother. And he also has a big personality. So you put them all in a room and you have Prakash and Steven and you have the other cousins. And it is just, honestly, I dream of the holidays with them because it is just full of laughter, good times, memories. I mean, you would think that VJ and Anon are still on tour by the way that they talk. It's like they just played <laughs> at Wimbledon, you know, this year. Yeah. So it's really still at the forefront of their brains and they love it so much. So it is very, um, their love is very palpable for, for the game and just for life. They, they love living. They love having a good time and they are, uh, they are wonderful people. And uh, I'm so lucky to be a part of the, their family. And what's it like to go to India now for you? Are you like, do they, do they like bring you in on elephants? Do they ride horses? Do you have like full security when you go there? That is so funny. I tell you what, if they brought me in on elephants, I might go more often, but I might have to suggest that to them. You didn't have it's elephants when you got married? You didn't have elephants I, when you got married? No? No? Not in Pittsburgh. Not okay. in Pittsburgh. We, okay. we couldn't get that. That was, uh, but I did do a Bollywood dance. That was a surprise for Steven. My sister choreographed a Bollywood dance and we performed it and my, and my family came up and joined. So, um, that was We've about seen that on Instagram. That was very, <laughs> that was high level. Um, that was high level instead content, the, as we say. Instead of the elephants, people got that. I don't know if that was a pro or a con, but, um, yeah, it's definitely an experience. I've been twice. Um, I obviously got to take part in the Chennai Open, which VJ was the tournament director last year, which was really special, special. Um, I didn't have my best week, um, but, it was awesome to be able to take part in it. I hope that they can bring another event back to India. I do think that it's a country that um, would be wonderful in hosting events. They do a wonderful job. Hospitality is obviously um, at the forefront of their culture. And so you will always be guaranteed a good time. So I enjoy going back. I, 
I think we'll probably, Stephen's grandma, unfortunately, passed Vijay Anand and Ashok's mom. So that was kind of what always took Stephen back to India. But um, until we have children, I'm not sure if we'll be making a trip, but it will definitely be something we do do in the future, probably quite often. And Anand Amitraj, for our listeners, is one of the one of the funkiest dressers there's ever been. And how do you explain the father having such a flamboyant style and your husband who's like a he's total opposite. He's like a he's like a model out of the preppy handbook. He's like a whale. <laughs> well, you know what guy. they say. He's like a whale tie guy. <laughs> what happened there? How do you explain that? You know, someone had said this. Um, when I was first starting to date Steven, and I think it really holds true. So Steven is more like Vijay's son, and Prakash is more like Anansa. 100%. (laughs) So so I think that, you know, I like to say Steven's the best of everything. He is sweet like his uncle, and he is very charismatic and so smart like they all are. Um, But his style is more reminiscent of of Vijay, a little bit more classic, um, traditional, whereas um, and I, you just really don't know what he's going to come out with. And he's all over the place and he is just, he rocks it. He has the best personality. No one else could pull it off. He does have, um, these amazing, um, designers that make his suits. And I've actually been fortunate enough to have a suit made by them. I'm waiting for it to come in, but they, they love working with Anand because he will do the most crazy things. Like there was a red jacket modeled after Prince William's wedding coat and they made one for Anon. And, like, who else could wear that but, you know, Prince William and Anon Amitraj? <laughs> 100%. No one's got – he's got the heaviest style there's ever been, in my opinion. He really does. He does. He really does. The rainbow of colors. Do you love being a pro tennis player? Have you enjoyed these last, you know, you're approaching, you know, almost 20 uh, – mm-hmm. Uh, 15 years on tour, 15, 20 years on tour. I absolutely love it. If anyone asks me, I love it. I've loved every single second. I love the training. I've loved the grind. I love the travel. There's really nothing that I don't love about it. Even the losses, like, you know, it's just part of it. It's part of what you signed up for. And so, um, this career was for me, is for me, and um, I loved every single second. I do it all over again in a heartbeat. I had wonderful people to work with. Um, every single person that I kind of was involved with um, that I decided to work with helped me exponentially. And um, I think that is what has always been such an interesting concept is how much I've loved it. So how do I ever say goodbye to it? But um you know, I think uh, I have a lot of peace in the effort that I put out and I I really did everything that I, I could and um, really tried everything that I could to put my best foot forward. And so there wasn't really anything else left for me to do. And some, you know, some leaves were left unturned for one reason or another, um, but I tried to turn them. They just didn't turn. And so, you know, I was really... Um, really fortunate in my career from from every regard and the people really made it for me let's move into the fourth set this is the 10 ball scramble i say it and you say what comes in your mind okay i'll try to keep it pg my gosh no 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 this is, oh, this is <laughs> it's, it's, it's your racket 
current racket? Wilson. Wilson. Well, what? Wilson, it's actually the NXT, which is like 10 years old, but they painted it as the blade. So I've kept the same racket forever. And I had, I would try so many and I always came back to that. Size of your grip? Four and a quarter. Very small. And I take the undergrip off. You take so the I put two gr- overgrips on it. You, two, two overgrips. What, what kind of overgrip? I use Turner grip. Two Turner grips back to back. Yep. And you, cause you like to feel, I like the to bevels. feel the bevels. Yep. You like to feel it. I who love tur- feeling the bevels. Who turned you on to that? Taking the, that under- was just a preference. It was a preference. And I was like, this thing just doesn't, it's too cushy for me. You know, I, I'm from Pittsburgh. Like, give me something rustic here. You found that, you found that, you found your way to two back to back Turner grips yourself. Yeah. Yeah. One's just too thin and I would get too many blisters. But if you put two on there, it was, it was doable. And I've been like that for probably five years. Uh, string. I use gut and, um, alu power. Gut on the main. Alu power on the cross. And and tension, generally speaking? Well, I go really light, which is funny because I have no spin on my balls. So now everyone can understand why some of them might have hit the fence. But um, they, I would be anywhere from 37 to 41. Really? Wow, yeah. that's loose. It's like a bungee. Anybody that touched it would be like, Oh my gosh, it's a trampoline. Your best moment on tour? <laughs> Playing in the Olympics. Really? Yeah. Not beating Ash Barty? At, uh, really? Not, not, no. Playing in the Olympics? No. Yeah, playing in the Olympics. It was the first time in my career where I had something that I wanted, and my performance leading up to it was not dictated by that, by wanting that. So I was still able to perform and have success and, and put a lot of wins on the board, despite having something that I wanted so incredibly badly. And um, I will forever be proud of that. Your worst moment on tour. <laughs> well, I mean, probably my lowest point, even though some might consider it my highest point, is when I was, you know, yelling at the ref at the Australian Open. So, you know, and that just happened this year. So, you know, there's um, there's always room for things to happen in your career, whether it's early or old. <laughs> yeah, but you were, but that was, that, but you were right. <laughs> it's different. I was right. Yeah, I was you... right. And I'm sorry, but I'd say it all over again. hundred <laughs> percent. Um <laughs> Was there a loss, though, that just stung worse? Is there something that, like, really took you to a different place? Was there any kind of, like, did you ever play just the worst tennis and you couldn't believe it? Like, you felt like you you need to retire? (laughs) It's so funny, Craig, because I really put up a lot of vendors over my career. And so often I would think, how in the world does that even happen? Like, how can you play so poorly? And after all that you put in and the time and you were just playing well yesterday and what just transpired. But you know what? I I never really, it never stung me enough to think that retirement or what am I doing out here? Because I knew it was all going to work out if I just got back to work and put in the time, you know, just like losses, like bad performances are just part of it. And I just think that was always my perspective. And um, 
uh, maybe if you ask my husband, he'd say different. He probably has better memory of some of my reactions after losses, but, but that would be my take. Well, you know, they call that athletic amnesia, the ability just to forget that bad shot or that bad thing and just keep it moving. And they say that, you know, the best athletes have that. You got to be able to just. It's so true. It. You aren't going to survive out here if you don't. Big entourage or lean and mean? Oh, I am so lean and mean. I tell you what, I am so lean and mean, and I respect the players that can have a lot of people there. And um, especially at a Grand Slam where there's so much happening, there's so many people everywhere. Uh, I would even get uh, unnerved when my my family would be like, I, I'd be in the third round. They say, we're coming up. I'm like, no, you're not coming up. You're not coming up. You're not. You're not going to ruin this vibe right here right now and so um lean and mean lean and mean to the end your favorite tournament oh Wimbledon not even in question do you save your credentials at the beginning when I didn't realize how long I was going to be on tour for um I did and then I was like all right I got no more room for these things so garbage they went hotel room garbage not just like not even bring them home garbage (laughs) where do you keep your trophies i do have a few that are out but i don't love for them i mean hey if i had a wimbledon trophy that thing's gonna be you know in my foyer but um my trophies i i keep them a little bit uh in the back Uh, my fed cup trophies that we we did win one as a team and we got to the final i keep them a little bit more present but uh, that's not for me. Where are they in a, Where are they in a closet? <laughs> where are the trophies? Yeah, they're where the sun don't shine. <laughs> the most cavalier thing you ever did with prize money, just right out of the office. You picked up the check. That is so funny. Most cavalier. Do you ever just buy a Porsche? Oh, Did you ever well, just buy it? Yeah, sorry. No, no. But you know what? I, um, after... 2019 that's when i bought my first house in charleston and so we took we took that and we we rolled it in and um that was my that was my purchase and it's been my baby ever since i mean to the winner goes the spoils you have that kind of year you get the house (laughs) right you get the house i think that's right you gotta live a little bit you know you work too hard not to Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the queen of the court. If you could be the queen of tennis and make a change with just one swing of the racket without any aggravation, without any, any buffers, any buffers, what would it be? My my immediate thought, it would be selfish, but I would say, all right, the grass season is going to be six weeks long and it's going to be like the hard court season at the end of the year and you are going to have an amazing lineup of events. Um, some in America, they're going to put it in Newport for once. They're going to put the woman in Newport. And um, I would make it a longer season. And I would um, I would give the Wimbledon vibe as much as I could everywhere, including hardcore, including clay court. I would just, I would, I would lengthen the Wimbledon vibe. I think it's just as good as it gets. And uh, they do such a wonderful job. And I am, I'm on the Wimbledon, uh, the Wimbledon uh, bandwagon forever. 
You know what? I I said it last year that I I said it. I said, you know, I don't think I can ever miss another Wimbledon. I I honestly well, like it's it's just so magic. It's absolutely magical. It's yeah. regal. It's tradition. It's classic. It's all these things that make it unparalleled. And obviously, if it was every week, it wouldn't feel as special. But God, it would be so good. And I, I'm with you. I don't think I'll ever. I'm already planning. Um, you know, when I'm done, I said I already have a lineup of my tickets for the, you know, x amount of years after, so that I take my friends, I take my family. We're never missing it. We're never missing it. Ali Risk, Ali Risk, Amritraj. Listen, um, I, I know it took me a second to get this interview together. I Aww. was told that. I was told by your one of your former coaches that you thought that we would have a great chat. I I am pleased that 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 this was as good as it was. Um, when do we see you next? We see you in New York. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, I'm definitely going to New York. We're going up on Thursday. We're only staying for a few days. We have to go to the racket house party. We always love going to that. Um, we always love every event that they put on. So we're so excited for that. See a few friends in the city, maybe do a couple um, work engagements, and then we'll come back. We might end up going back again, you know, at the end of the Open as well. So we'll see. It's a really quick flight. Well, Stephen, and, for um, our listeners, Stephen, is, is he still with UTR? He's the UTR, right? Is he the UTR? He is with UTR. Yeah. Stephen yeah. Amitraj is the UTR. <laughs> you guys can go up there anytime you want. You have business up there. You got to be in New York. Well, that's it. That's it. He does. He, I mean, my, my husband works so hard and he's really just, um, he's incredible. And so, yes, he, he will have some um, meetings in New York and um, he'll probably have to go back up. So like I said, we probably will end up uh, being back up there at the end of the open. Listen, we have to ask it. Do we see you back on tour? You know, God willing, um, I'll be back on tour. I think, um, like I said, I'm giving my body and my mind a little bit of a break here and we're going to see where we are you know, um, in a little bit, but I just needed this breathing space. I needed my body to be able to heal. And, um, like I said, I love the tour so much and there's nothing like it. So I can only hope that I'll be fortunate enough to be back out there. Listen, this has been tremendous. We'll see you in a few days. Allie risk. You are released. Oh, uh, I don't want to go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Huge thank you to Ali Risk Armitrage. And thank you to Deodora. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at hollabirdsports.com for 15% off all Deodora performance tennis shoes. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.